Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now Podcast channel. Today we will update you on recent developments within the Beltway and beyond. Joining me as always for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. With that, Shane, welcome back. Happy Friday and Thank you for spending some time with us. Looking forward to the conversation. Thank you, Dan. Good to be back with you as always. So, Shane, to start, maybe we can follow up on a topic we covered during last week's conversation. So last Friday, you did preview for our listeners a diplomatic visit to China by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Uh, This was in an effort to reset relations between the two countries, and times have been tense over recent months as a result of the China spy balloon incident earlier this year. And when you spoke to us last Friday at that time, there wasn't a firm agenda really to speak of. So now that the visit has come and gone, what are some takeaways you can share with us? And How successful were efforts to repair relations? Yeah, uh, U.S. Secretary of State Tony Blinken met with a number of uh, uh, top people in China, including top uh, diplomat as well as the foreign minister. And, of course, kind of the big news and surprise was that uh, he also had a 35-minute meeting um, with Chinese President Xi. You know, obviously a number of topics were covered you know, um, from everything from Taiwan and, you know, the U.S. reaffirming that um, it it, it believes in its one China policy and not supporting uh, Taiwanese uh, independence, which, you know, China really needs to hear and feel uh, reaffirmed in that position. So that was a positive from the Chinese side that they really got to hear that. But there, that was one area, you know, of progress, we'll say, where, you know, we're coming back to some normalization of relations with uh, China. You know, Secretary Blinken's visit is the highest level visit of a U.S. official to China in several years. Um, and there's a possibility of uh, President Xi coming to the U.S. later this year to meet with President Biden. So, you know, overall positive um, you know, it wasn't groundbreaking where, you know, all of a sudden the clouds opened up and the, and the sun came out because there are still many tough issues between uh, the U.S. and China. And, you know, on the heels of this, you know, um, President Biden calling Xi a dictator did not go over well in China. So, you know, as soon as these meetings ended, we kind of took a step back. Now, while it was a step back, it was not, you know, so far back that we're back where we were, you know, after the spy balloon and and tensions were extremely high. So, you know, positive, but, you know, we we can't be um, fooling ourselves and thinking that, you know, everything is rosy now. There's still a lot of tensions between uh, the U.S. and China. Okay, so all in sounds like it was a constructive visit and encouraging to hear to an extent that relations seem to be back on track, though, as you pointed out, still a lot of difficult issues. And we'll, of course, keep our eyes open and see what else develops with respect to relations between the U.S. and China in the coming months. If we come back stateside, President Biden this week hosting a state visit from Indian Prime Minister Modi, 
So what's on the agenda for this visit and what are some points of interest you could share with us from the White House visit in particular? I understand there was a press conference and how would you characterize current relations between the U.S. and India? Yeah, this was um, fascinating. You know, start with the simple fact that, you know, a, a, a visit like this at this level is rare. You know, uh, yes, foreign leaders come to the United States and meet with senior leaders, including the president, you know, very routinely. But a state dinner, um, the prime minister of India um, addressing Congress, you know, these are big deals. So um, this was definitely noteworthy. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, you know, everything from the agreement that um, U.S. manufacturer GE and a state-owned enterprise in India would be jointly uh, producing uh, jet engines in India to um, the announcement of, you know, uh, joint mission with NASA to the International Space Station. Um, and a big one is that uh, U.S.-based uh, semiconductor Micron is announcing that they're going to break ground on almost a $3 billion uh, semiconductor assembly facility in India. And this is actually very big from the perspective of, you know, having a more um, diversified base for semiconductors so we're not so reliant on China. So there were a number of areas touched on and progress was made on a lot of these areas. Uh, but, you know, this is... Uh, interesting from the perspective that India is now the largest country in the world. It has the largest uh, population. It has uh, surpassed China. So, you know, this is, you know, the Biden administration recognizing that and the influence uh, India is going to have in the coming years and decades in, in around the globe. And I think, you know, it is uh, pretty noteworthy that this effort is being made to build this relation with China in recognition of that and not only and to be a counter act uh, to China because remember you know China and the US do, uh, excuse me China and India don't have the best relationship but it is closer than our relationship with China so you know um but there are also all other touchy subjects uh that were approached or you know kind of danced around in some in some ways which and one example is that india still uh, purchases uh gas from russia which you know to some extent is propping up the russian economy as you know we and many other nations have sanctions on russia so i think this is a very positive development and well received although there are you know, of course, concerns. You had a number of members of Congress who uh, did not attend uh, Prime Minister Modi's address to Congress because of concerns of, you know, um, human rights violations and other issues. Well, these state visits always fascinating. A lot of unique aspects tied to this particular one. So thank you, Shane, for providing some highlights and takeaways. If we stick with our geopolitical theme for this week, there have been some Recent developments surrounding the ongoing Russia-Ukraine war, this as Ukraine recently launched an offensive effort, which has since been pulled back to an extent. So this, of course, remains a very fluid situation. What are some recent developments that you can share with us that stand out? Yeah, no, you're right. Ukraine has launched their counteroffensive. They're picking up ground, but not nearly 
um, as much ground as anticipated. So I think there's some uh, frustration and concern um, about, you know, what uh, what what the reality is on the ground. You know, will Ukraine be able to push back or are we going to continue to be in a stalemate for years to come? You know, interestingly, on the flip side, you've seen um, uh, the head of the uh, Wagner group, which is kind of like this paramilitary group that is um, hired by Russia to fight on the Russian side. Uh, the head of the Wagner group has pushed back and, you know, essentially said this is, uh, you know, the Russian people were not told, you know, the full truth and about going to war and um, why they're there to begin with and, you know, the reasons to go to war. So um, this is very interesting to see, you know, uh, someone who is a uh, Putin ally really pushing back. And it's showing kind of your, the frustration on the Russian side for, you know, wh- why they're there and the, the human cost. You know, and speaking of the human cost, you know, this war has been well over a year now. Um, tens of thousands of lives have been lost. Um, also, you know, what is the economic damage? You know, uh, some over 100,000 buildings have been destroyed. The economic toll is uh, reaching half a trillion dollars in Ukraine. Um, so this is uh, quite impactful uh, on a number of levels. And unfortunately, it looks like there is no resolution in sight, and this will continue on. Well, Shane, thank you for bringing us up to speed on the latest developments. Unfortunate that we still have this particular conversation, as you pointed out. A lot still happening and a lot still to be figured out. So we'll, of course, keep a close eye on this, though. Shane, thank you, as always, for spending some time with our listeners, our clients, keeping us all informed on what's happening within our borders and around the world. Wish you a nice weekend and look forward to picking back up with our conversation again next week. Thanks, Dan. Looking forward to Have a great weekend. Thank you, Shane. And again, we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Before we close out, I do want to point out to our listeners and our clients of UBS, you can now locate the latest edition of the Washington Weekly publication available up on UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 